hey Mary, we've talked about multisensory so much in the last few seasons of just the importance of it, but I think it's finally time that they get their own episodes. What do you think? Let's keep it multisensory. We're going to talk all about multisensory learning today, and I think it's going to be a great episode. This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. Hi, I'm Shannon Betts, and I've been teaching since 2002. I've been a classroom teacher, a reading specialist, and I'm currently working in a private school as a resource teacher and guidance counselor. Um, My specialty is locating the missing pieces in students' reading development and um, finding just right activities to fill those gaps. My name is Mary Sagafi, and I am a reading tutor and a dyslexia advocate. I have been working since 2006, and um, I am really excited today to chat with you all about multisensory work, because this is really the premise of what the Orton-Gillingham teaching reading programming is all about, is making sure that we are really using multisensory education. Let's talk about it today. Okay, I can't wait. Cool. So what I would love to do is just to start with a brain visual, and I want you to think about a triangle um, that we typically talk about with RTI model. Or MTSS, multi-tiered support. Which is also, they're interchangeable terms. What we're thinking about is the support team at school and how they really do interventions for kids. So when you have your triangle, at the bottom of the triangle, we call it tier one, and that is general instruction. That's what the regular education teacher is teaching to all of the class at one time. When you notice that students have some deficits in in their learning, then you're going to move the triangle to the middle, and we call that tier two. And what that means is that the teacher is going to provide some more target interventions for their students um, to make sure that they're filling in the gaps. As you move up the triangle we move to tier three or tier four and that will be um, special education in some schools and it may be even more targeted not necessarily special education in other schools. Yes with most of the schools I worked in for tier three it was student support team and you continued the tier one instruction with the whole group and you continued the tier two the small group and then if the students still needed extra support, um, you would also add a one-on-one piece. Right, so so that's the RTI model. And then um, parents are often confused about how students do get into special education, and we have an episode kind of explaining that. But the, the long and short of it is, if your student qualifies to the top tier of needing more specialized instruction, needing special education instruction, the, the parents say, okay, finally, we've made it. We, we get the special education. What's going to be different? And oftentimes they are dismayed to find that there is no magic wand that a special education teacher holds to really create the most opportune and excellent learning environment. Oftentimes we're striving towards that. So we're going to talk today about what different strategies you can use either as a special education teacher or a literacy specialist or a parent working with a struggling reader because all of these strategies are just good teaching and it may be beneficial for your student. It may be that they don't need quite this much explicit um, work 
but it's still really great teaching. If your child is really struggling and does need all of this explicit work, we're gonna give you lots of ideas as to how to help um, make sure that you are teaching to exactly what their needs are. So let's talk a little bit more about it today. So what is, um, what defines a struggling reader, right? We really kind of have to talk about that. And the easiest way I think to represent that is through the ladder of reading. And the ladder of reading talks about how 5% um, of students typically are able to read with little or no instruction at all. Um, and so that's a really rare occasion. 35% of the students in your general class are going to be learning to read with relative ease using a broad type of instruction. 40 to 50% of the bulk of your class are going to need to be learning to read proficiently um, by using a code-based, explicit, systematic, and sequential instruction. Structured literacy is that type of instruction. And the, um, the meat of that is that it's phonics-based, it's explicit, systematic, and it has a clear sequential instruction that kind of circles back. Um, the bottom rung of the ladder is the 10 to 15 percent of students in your class who are struggling readers who may or may not be identified as having dyslexia. So with these learners, learning to read requires the same code-based, explicit, systematic, sequential, but also diagnostic instruction with additional repetitions. So that's what we're going to be talking about. For this these 60% of students, the 40% that need the structured literacy, the 10 to 15% that may or may not have dyslexia, they have to have a structured literacy approach to be proficient in learning to read. So the difference for the 10 to 15% with dyslexia, what is the magic wand that a special education teacher can use? Simultaneous multi-sensory instruction. That means using a visual component, an auditory component and a kinesthetic component simultaneously engaging all parts of the brain. And that simultaneous piece was um, first talked about by Anna Gillingham. And so that's why we talk about Orton Gillingham methodology. She was the first one to kind of pioneer this method. And a lot of people have um, done lots of research and it's very much proven theory that when you are simultaneously using a visual auditory kinesthetic piece, you are engaging the frontal lobe of the brain, you're engaging the temporal lobe of the brain, and the angular gyrus. Um, the angular gyrus is what, what um, links all of these brain connections together. The frontal lobe is, a, is the part that controls for grammar, speech, and language, and comprehension. The temporal lobe controls for decoding and sound discrimination. And there have been fMRI studies where they show um, brain images and the brain lights up where uh, a typical reader is learning to read and a dyslexic reader is learning to read. And there are differences in how their brain is processing this language information and the reading information. So our goal for any struggling reader is to make sure that we are teaching to the brain to make sure that this it is efficiently, um, that the brain is learning to efficiently process the information and all the complex pieces of learning to read. And we call that, um, that, that's what we're doing, right? We're trying to make reading an efficient process. 
So it's the reading, the connections for reading conduction. Whew. That's a lot, right, everybody? Well, I had a flashback um, to the dinner party where we met, yes. okay, while you were saying all that. So we say in our opener that we um, started talking about reading at a dinner party in our neighborhood, and we haven't really stopped. True. And so th- I remember now that um, that's what we were talking about, was that yeah. I was mentioning that I um, had been um, a tier two teacher, a reading specialist for so long, yep. um, and a classroom teacher, and that... I was talking when we met at that dinner party about um, why I thought that students struggled learning to read. And then I also was saying, well, what I found is that picture cues really help and that doing things on their body really help and um, doing sorts and all of these things. And you were like, well, aren't you Orton Gillingham trained? And I'm like, what's Orton Gillingham? Yeah, no, it's true. (laughs) But that, um, so we really kind of connected talking about multisensory and I just sort of, um, found figured out multisensory just through experimentation with yep. my own students and realized that like they didn't learn other ways but the more I added colors the more I added movements the more I added um anything that just was sort of different than me just talking at the students correct that they um remembered it more they internalized it more and what you're saying is it's because it activates all the parts of the brain correct and that that is that is the piece that is the magic wand is it easy? Of course not. But um, Shannon and I have a plan to talk with you all of our listeners about what are some pieces of multisensory education that you can implement immediately. How can you target specific kids and their learning styles and meet their different modalities and also develop more of this simultaneous multisensory instruction in your classroom? That's our goal. Yeah, and just on a personal note, I mean, this is what I've had to do in the last year as I've been recovering from my brain injury is that um, I just don't think as abstractly as I used to where somebody can just say something and I can immediately picture it and know where to sort it in my brain and remember it later. And so um, over the last year, I've... um, I do a lot more, I'm not very artistic, but I do a lot more sketching anyway. And and it's just, you know, little stick people and boxes and things like that. But I have to kind of make webs now to um, group information and I have to sketch things out. Or a lot of times too, I um, build models where I'll take different pieces of paper and stack them and sort them and move different things. And that's a way for me to make that abstract more concrete for myself. And so, um, and even when I've been talking to you about some of my therapies and, well, this is still hard for me and this is still hard for me. And Mary will go, well, Shannon, are you doing it multisensory? You know, and <laughs> so. so true. <laughs> I do. I, I love, I love thinking about it, uh, uh, you know, about how kids learn. And so, um, I think what I can share with you also personally this week, I've had such an interesting experience. So I was giving an assessment to two first grade students and they were such different learners. It was really amazing. So the first little girl that I was working with, um, her mom had mentioned that she was having some processing issues. She was having a really difficult time recalling sight words. Sounding out um, her letters was still difficult. Blending um, and segmenting words was difficult. So we were working on a bunch of different things together. Um, She also has had a lot of really good phonemic awareness training, which was kind of interesting. Um, So I was just taking in all of this information, she was struggling with the idea that reading a sentence was just so much work to do. So we went outside and I wrote her sentence that I wanted her to read on the sidewalk. And she took her finger and she was tapping each of the sounds and struggling through the entire sentence. 
And once she got to the end, she looked at me. I said, why don't you jump on each of the words and read the words again to me? And as soon as she was able to take that and jump onto each of the words, she recalled it so much faster. So there's an example. I'm just doing an assessment, but we tried it in a different way. We used chalk, we used, and then she was able to, to do it in a different way. So that's my one example. My second example is super different too. So I had another kid whose mom um, was concerned because he's just been really struggling with virtual learning. It's not a great setting for him. He's a really busy and active kid and mom just doesn't even know where he is right now because virtual learning is just such a tough place for him to be, especially for attention. So when he walks in, I gave him a little bit of slime to, I could tell that he was already all over the place. So he was just holding the slime. He answered every single question that I gave him. He was rolling on the ground at times, his feet were kicking in the air at times, but he was attending to me 100%. So if you can ignore the behaviors that are distractible behaviors, I could still see that his brain was processing all of this information. Um, at the end, we were working on sight words. He was such a busy kid, he was jumping on the trampoline and for each word he would jump. We jumped for six minutes and he read 100 sight words with no problems at all. So I don't see him as having difficulty understanding um, and learning the reading concepts. What he was having difficulty was maintaining his body and, and keeping his body focused so that his brain could still interact and understand the concepts that we were talking about. Those are two very different ways of interacting with manipulatives or interacting with multisensory pieces. So you need to be really specific in how you are utilizing those multisensory pieces towards the learner. So, so the girl that was jumping on the sidewalk, you were incorporating the learning with the kinesthetic movement. Yes. So that's multisensory. That is multisensory. But the boy jumping on the trampoline is sensory sensory and so he was having some difficulty with sensory processing within his own body so and keeping were, his body still so you were giving him you were activating his kinesthetic sort of movements mm -hmm. but that wasn't really what was building the learning of those sight words no i wasn't okay. building it was just keeping his body so that he could maintain interaction with me that's a sensory component to making sure that his body is regulated so that he can perform and do what he needed to do in that moment. Okay. So those are really different pieces. And I think sometimes you'll have a student who doesn't do very well with manipulatives because they become toys, they become things like that. You need to decide whether that student is bored, whether that student is using the manipulative as a distraction to get away from the learning if they're trying to avoid the learning or if they don't know how to use the learning how to use that device as a learning tool. And so we need to make sure that you're really careful about how you utilize this. Don't just take away manipulatives. You have to have a good reason for taking away a manipulative. And that can't be, it's distracting you. So you can people. put the metacognition in there for the students of we're doing this because of this and this is how this helps you. Absolutely. If they need to be separated so that they're not a distraction to other students, that's another piece. But that may be a time to focus on really teaching that student to use it or for you as the teacher deciding do they need to use that? Or is it an appropriate time to take away um, the manipulative because they don't need to use it at that time? Okay. So just some food for thought. We're going to get into some really deep dives about what 
what are really great visual um, multi-sensory strategies? What are some really good auditory strategies? There's a cuckoo clock happening. So that is my multi-sensory learning <laughs> the sense of time, everybody. We are, we're in my, um, my office right now recording this and I was losing track of time um, and since the concussion and not noticing anything. And so uh, like one day I was down here for like five or six hours. I forgot to feed the dog and everything. Cause oh, no. I just, I, time just doesn't make sense to me anymore. And so uh, my neurologist laughed at me, but I was like, I got a cuckoo clock. I was like, and it helps. Cause now at least I hear that auditory cue that it's been another hour and it's, it's so jarring every time it happens. So y'all are hearing it now too. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I have an example of multisensory as well that I've done this year sure. um, with a student who's in fifth grade and we're actually, it's with grammar, mm-hmm. but um, I've been working with her on the parts of speech and we had done nouns and verbs and then adjectives and adverbs. And most of the lessons were auditory at that point. And she was seeming like she understood it, kind of, but not always. And then once we added adverbs, which was that fourth one, it was kind of like everything started crumbling because it really hadn't been a strong enough foundation of the other three parts of speech. And so that's when I realized that I needed to go more multisensory with her because me just explaining the difference over and over of what a noun and a verb was and kind of underlining words and sentences just wasn't enough. Mm -hmm. And so... um, I have this really cool set. Um, we'll link to it in our show notes. Um, it's these parts of speech box at like houses and the, it's like a city full of houses. Um, and you build sentences with different words from each of these boxes. And so they're color coded. They're color coded. Yeah. So the nouns and the verbs are the biggest houses. I think the nouns are green and the verbs are blue. They're the biggest because they're the big building blocks of sentences, right? Mm-hmm. And so then um, the adjectives and adverbs go next, and you can build a sentence. You know, you kind of pour out some nouns, pour out some verbs, and you can kind of build regular or silly sentences from those. And then those are just sort of basic sentences, you know, like the frog jumped, you know, right. or the cat ran. But then you can add in an adjective, you know, or an adverb to make it, you know, well, which the black cat ran quickly, you know. Yeah. And then it... Um, makes that sentence a lot more sophisticated and so the student and I started building some sentences that way and started then she started to kind of pay attention and start to see that okay you can't have a sentence with just an adjective or an adverb like really because there's a visual component then she's also saying this sentence and practicing it grammatically correct exactly and that it's not it's not a sentence if it just says an adjective or an adverb it has to have that noun and verb first and she even saw the size of it that it was a bigger house and so then that was sort of the kinesthetic piece. And we yeah. kind of, we also took a couple sentences where she made up some and like we changed words from adjectives to adverbs. Like we said the, um, the loud air conditioner blue, mm-hmm. which is really loud in our office. Um, and then we said the air conditioner blew loudly. And so we changed that loud to loudly and mm-hmm. showed that it was now describing um, blue instead of the AC. Mm-hmm. And so then we took um, all of that and we used the same colors um, that were in the houses and we used highlighters. She loves office supplies. So uh, as soon as Perfect. I got out her highlighter box, she was so excited. And so we highlighted the nouns green. We highlighted the verbs blue. We highlighted the adjectives. I think it was yellow and the adverbs purple mm-hmm. um, to match those. And it was like you could see the light bulb on the top of her head, like ding, ding, ding. It all started to make sense. Like, OK. Now that I've matched the colors in my own sentences with the highlighters, and that was the same as that experience of building the sentences from those houses. Yeah. And then it all started to make sense, and she kind of remembered the stuff I'd been teaching her the last month about the different parts of speech. Yeah, which is fading. So what you're doing then is 
having this experiential learning, fading it so that she can use a highlighter on her own, and then gradually even releasing that so that she can do it more independently without a highlighter. Yes. So now, like, we only bring out the highlighters every now and then if she needs it. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, why don't you just highlight the noun? Then do you need to highlight anything else? Okay, why don't you highlight the verb? Do you need to highlight anything else? And then she can start to find the other parts of speech once she's found those bigger ones. That is a perfect example of why multi-sensory education is so important, especially um, when you're working in a tier two foundation too. So sometimes you just need to recognize this kid needs more in this moment. What do I need to do? What can I add on? So the goal is to add on more until they need it, and then you start to fade it back. And and that's the goal of multi-sensory education. So and it's just necessary because most of most of the educational day is auditory. It's a right. lot of teachers teaching and the students listening and trying to learn, but some of these students need more. Well, and in this case, I think you had told me previously that this is a language learner, yes. an English language learner, and so if auditory is the main component of the day, that must be tiresome. Yes. For those students. Well, when you were saying the distracting piece, I've noticed that she plays with a piece of paper all the time. And yeah. then she's told me, oh, I'm bored. And I think it is that choosing to use the paper as a manipulative sort of thing. Sure, yeah. So sometimes it is balancing out your sensory needs. But anyway, long story short, that's these are the essential pieces that we need to kind of work and discover and hone in on our students so that we can eventually start to fade and pull them back a little bit more. But gone are the days of reading Dick and Jane. (laughs) (laughs) So we're going to do, this is sort of an overview of multisensory, and then we're going to do a specific episode about um, visual things that you can do for reading and a specific episode about extra auditory um, besides just sort of lecture and sharing information. And then um, a specific episode about kinesthetic things you can do for those types of learners. And, but the goal is to kind of do them simultaneously, like I was um, doing for that fifth grader where we had the, auditory, kinesthetic, and visual all in the same lesson, but then also, if you can't do all three at the same time, at least do two. Do visual and auditory, or do kinesthetic and auditory. I'm going to do a quick overview because you all know how much I love Emily Gibbons, and she's so fantastic. She gave us permission to utilize her um, her logo um, for multi-sensory education and the learning triangle for this episode, but I also want to plug Um, this really great piece that she has and it's for teaching learned words and learned words are typically sight words or red words that we talk about that don't always follow the um, natural phonetic sequence so um, she has this great um, product and it's a way of teaching learned words with lots of multi-sensory instruction so I just love this so number one you're gonna look at a picture of the learned word maybe you'll use magnets to spell it out and then the students going to write it and they're going to look at it and they're going to just use it in a sentence verbally see how we've already incorporated so many things just in the first activity number three we're going to use bumpy letters we're gonna put a bumpy screen behind and we're gonna write those letters with red crayon Then we're going to look at the word and we're going to use frames. So if it has a capital letter F, an F is a taller letter, an R is a smaller letter. And so we're going to frame that word using correct sizing of letters. Then we're going to look at the word and we're going to arm tap it three times. We're going to go down our arm and sound it out. Then we're going to trace the letters 
um, with the that we did with the bumpy screen three times with our finger. We're just going to go back and use our tactile sense and trace it. Number seven is we're going to sky write or table write that same word three times. We're going to be saying the letters out loud. We're going to be visualizing and thinking about them and the tactile experience of um, either air writing it or writing it on the table. All that is simultaneous. Like. It is, yep. And then um, we're going to write the word in red three times using color coding. Then we're going to hide the word. We're going to write it again two times. So that time we're going to take away the visual piece that you already have and you're going to recall it with your mind's eye. And number 10, you're going to write it in a sentence. And that is just for one sight word to practice. Do all kids need all of this intensive instruction? No. Are there some kids that would really benefit from using all these senses to actually learn and gain control of spelling and reading those sight words? Yes. So that's the difference. The, that's a really good example of how multisensory education um, is an essential component for some students. So you, we talked at the beginning of the episode about a triangle with the tiers, tier one, tier two, tier three, but then you also just mentioned multisensory triangle. Oh, let's go back and talk about that just real quick. So um, Anna Gillingham um, is the first person who, I, I might have mentioned this previously, but I'll just go back because Emily also has this freebie that I want to say. but. Um, the language triangle that Anna Gillingham talks about is the simultaneous visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and it's activating all of those pieces in your mind. V-A-K, 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 simultaneous, um, being able to um, use those words together. So that is the language triangle. Okay. Yep, so that's the difference between a language triangle and then the RTI triangle is the different tiers of instruction. So I'm glad you pointed that out. So look in our show notes for those triangles yes. <laughs> in our social media. And uh, we talked about a lot of things in these episodes, so we'll be sharing pictures of that because um, y'all are hearing this episode that's auditory. Right. <laughs> but I know that when you see the visual cues, even as adults, that it will make more sense to you. So. Which is why we have an Instagram account and a Facebook account yes. so that you can also see our visuals on there. And then go on our website and you can kind of see it all at once. Make sure that you do give us a comment or question and reach out to us if you... Um, would like to chat with us a little bit more about these topics because we're always happy to engage with our listeners. Yep, and stay tuned to the next episodes as we go more deeply into the VAK, V Visual A Auditory K Kinesthetic. Yep, all right. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you to um, Allison and Jordan for our work in music. Yep, and we will see you next time.